I'm, I'm still a judgmental ass in my head. <laughs> my actions toward my sponsees and people, people, I tend to love, my actions are loving towards people, even though I hate people in my head and I'm super judgmental and go on rants <laughs> about people based on their outward characteristics and where they're from and what they say and the tattoos that, oh, it's terrible. But AA has taught me and then I'm a nicer person to give myself credit for. My actions are loving towards people. Then that sobriety to not have to act on my thoughts and be the ass that I am in my head. In my head. Exactly. <laughs> it, I get a pause. I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. What's up, Mr. Don? Nary a thing. Nary a thing. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're feeling we're going to use the old vernacular today. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Well, that's like... This is going to be a really dull show. Sam. It could be a really dull show, but maybe it's that thing that's like, uh, you remember, you know, like a sponsee comes to you and says, I'm bored. And it's like, are you really bored or are you just serene, content? Uh, yeah, I, I am experiencing supreme serenity. <laughs> Wake me up when this is over. <laughs> well, let's see if maybe we can get the show going with this. We got a grapevine quote here. That says, I'm usually about 80% of the problem. Well, maybe 60%, but the major part, you can bet on that. If I can leave out the largest percentage, me, there is hardly any problem at all. That's from June of 1976 from the book Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. That's one of the daily quote emails from aagrapevine.org. You can sign up and subscribe to those and get one a day. That's an interesting one. I'm usually about 80% of the problem. Well, maybe 60%. I like that. <laughs> you know, I, that's not always that I'm the problem, but I'm always a part of the problem. Identifying my part of it helps me to just let go of the rest of the problem and to discover sometimes it's 80% me. I'm the whole problem. I had to Google this while you were talking. It took me to that Mark Twain quote. I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, most of which never happened. Yeah. You know, that's totally talking about that thing. It's like most of it's in my head. It's my interpretation of what's going on, my reaction to what's going on. It's me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. Yeah. So many times I just take a problem and make it worse because my reaction to it is going to magnify the problem or I'm going to be uh, offended by somebody. Then that's going to make me lash out, you know, to be able to really see what my part is frees me from the other person. Absolutely. OK, so I got the giggles real quick when you said or I'm going to be offended by somebody and I'm like, yeah. So how many times have you gone into a situation knowing that you're going to be interacting with someone and you go in prepared to be offended? Oh, you're like looking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I would never do anything like that. I'm, I'm, I know you wouldn't because you're a spiritual gas giant, but, you know. Well, I've achieved the place where even right now I'm kind of half asleep because <laughs> yeah. I have so much serenity. Yeah, and you have serenity. achieved your gaseous state. <laughs> Wake up, Don. <laughs> Don, we got a guest today. Who's our guest? 
Well, today it's Jake B, and Jake is in Madrid, Spain. Madrid, Sp- Madrid, Madrid. <laughs> Why? Say it. Say it. Madrid, Spain. You got to leave all that in. <laughs> so we're gonna get to know Jake a little bit, but first. Hey, Don, how can I support The Grapevine Podcast? Since The Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support the podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Jake B. Happy to be a part of the podcast today. It's uh, the evening for me, six hour time difference for the East Coast, I guess an extra three Pacific time. Yeah, super excited to be here. I've been sober since November 18th, 2017. Got sober in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's where I met Sam Hmm. and Don. I'm sure we've met. Yes. It's my favorite subject too. talking about resentments going in with people. I already get the resentment in my imaginary friend head and then get offended, accomplish it all within my head already. And I'm the problem thinking about the problem. Yep. Can relate to all of it still to this day after five and a half years. (laughs) Yeah. I went from Greensboro then to Wilmington and then, um, then Madrid, Spain, something I always wanted to do, but didn't do it because that's not what you're supposed to do when you're drinking. When you're drinking, you're supposed to hold off the booze and then get the white collar job to settle into the nine to five and then like start get stable enough to like start being able to drink again the way I wanted. And God didn't have it that way. It, it was get sober. And then all of a sudden you get to go to Spain because it's what you wanted to do. And you realize it's your life. And I have this thing called freedom now. Oh, wow. Yes. Now that's making it attractive. Listen, I took an international travel job for four years when I was three and a half years sober. There is no way that drunk Sam would have ever even explored that. I couldn't have trusted myself to travel the world drinking. I'd have been in jail somewhere at best. Yeah, and in a very bad jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, in another country. Yeah, don't even start. God. Well, so what took you to Madrid, Spain? My bottom was in 2017 after graduating college with no plan. I mean, I was raised in a family and was motivated by enough fear to always get the grades and do what I was supposed to do in that area. But my alcoholism was just, no, the fear was just no plan, just let me start drinking again and just tell everyone I have a plan. I since had got sober that summer and I graduated with my master's in social work. Mm -hmm. But after getting my master's, it was deja vu of after getting my undergrad where I had wished that I had gone to Spain and I had been to Spain once already studying abroad for just one month in 2014 and had the time of my life. I felt the push to do it. It was the time I had the freedom and I'm now on year two of living in Madrid. And you're teaching English? I take over the lessons for the English classes. They want to learn about culture, talk and have a good time. So, Jake, what is AA like in Madrid? Oh, my gosh. My expectations were that 
I was going to kill two birds with one stone because I want to do everything and I want to get fluent in Spanish while getting the precious recovery that I need at the same time. So I will go to Spanish speaking meetings and slowly but surely hear what they say, get the, the support and relief while getting fluent in Spanish. But I had no idea what they were saying. They, they mumbled quickly. I didn't know anyone. I was kind of a little bit on rough footing. You know, when I first got here, I do need the meetings. I do need that support. So I went to one and then realized they have English speaking AA here. And it's incredible here. We have um, a 7.45 p.m. to 9 p.m. meeting here every weeknight. And that's just my bread and butter. And then we have a 2 p.m. meeting, English speaking. So you get Americans, British, Irish, but then all the international people that come in will go to the English speaking groups. And I love it. That was such an amazing part of my experience. When I traveled, I went to a meeting everywhere I went. Being able to to meet these people, especially the expats that live there, then the secrets of like, here's where you really ought to go eat. Come join us. This is not where the tourists go. Exactly. So what is the uh, meeting format like on this evening meeting that you go to? Okay, that's interesting. 745 and then we have a 10-minute break in the middle at about 8.30. We have it that break time. It's like, you know how it's new for us, the meeting after the meeting and the meeting before the meeting. Like, my social skills were rusty. I mean, that's uh -huh. a huge part of my bottom, just dreading that social time. And then we master it, you know? Like, we're on a podcast now. But then the meeting before the meeting and after, we master that small talk because you get to know people better. And that's no longer small talk. It's like checking in on a deep level. Well, the middle meeting part where you're just kind of standing there and I don't smoke, I kind of just let myself be carried into like, what is this little middle conversation going to be like? Yesterday, no one came to me on that little break. So I just kind of just stood there and it was perfect. And that's fine. That's also fine today. <laughs> well, Jake, when you got sober, what was going on with you that made you surrender and come to Alcoholics Anonymous? Ooh, that's a good question. So it, it wasn't my choice at first. I, and I struggled with that of like, I didn't have a desire at first. It kind of came like that appendix in the back of the book where it talks about how the spiritual awakening kind of comes later on. It's an educational variety. Well, my desire to stop drinking was really educational too, because I agreed as a truce to my parents they, it was too much living under their roof. It was just painful for them to see me not really going anywhere making excuses about, oh, if I'll, let me get this job in Raleigh or this job in Charlotte, this white collar job, and then I'll be on my feet. But nothing was materialized. And they were like, you need to go somewhere. Were you drinking or was this just, we're a little tired of you hanging out at the house all the time and supporting you? I was definitely still drinking, but it wasn't that traditional hardcore bottom alcoholism where I'm shaking. I can't physically stop drinking. I had proven to myself that I don't need to stop drinking because I could go maybe a week or two without drinking in a row, you know, during that summer. Cause I was trying to prove to myself that I could do it, that alcohol wasn't a problem for me, Yes, but then I would turn to stimulant medications to motivate me to look for jobs and then come down on other drugs that would help me come down. Mm. Um, just a medley of these three main drugs of choice always came down to alcohol. But uh, I needed somewhere to go. I needed to get kicked out of the house. And other drugs were a problem. I went to Fellowship Hall and I originally picked up the NA book okay. because it was Adderall that uh, I couldn't quite shake. I, I needed it to feel motivated and blah, blah, blah. 
and I was stealing it from people. But, but really, it was the second part. My parents were kicking me out of the house and Fellowship Hall was the next room and board. You went to treatment center. That's an expensive hotel. It's an expensive hotel. It paid off for me. I haven't looked back since, which the gratitude gets stronger and stronger each time. It's kind of fun there. You know, you kind of see yeah. why it's you pay the money you do. I mean, you eat really well there. <laughs> I've eaten there. What did you do when you left Fellowship Hall? I think that's a tricky time for people leaving treatment center. Oh, I took their suggestion. And I've always loved taking suggestions. A lot of times my willingness to take suggestions is out of fear of like not trusting myself and like being overwhelmed with options and choice. Mm -hmm. But in this sense, I mean, the suggestions we take is everyone was saying, stay for the follow-up additional 60-day program where you just move into the house next door on the campus and you have a therapy assistant living there with you, but you get a little bit more step up in freedom where you you have a kitchen with food and then shuttled to two meetings a day and AA in the morning and NAM in the afternoon. And I didn't like meetings. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, do we have to keep doing this? But during those 60 days, that's when it hammered in the the bond, the network, building a network. I could resonate with what they were saying there and how it was valuable. Did you want to drink? I definitely grieved the loss of alcohol. And early on, it definitely was lamenting. I kept saying this a lot. I can never have a Corona on the beach. I can never smoke a blunt on the ski lift. Turns out you can ski sober and then you can watch Netflix shows sober and then you can enjoy the beach way more sober too. You know, you swim and then you read and then you like, life is incredible. And I just haven't found a reason to go back out. It's definitely not worth it. But yeah, did I want to drink? I would say probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But those memories aren't really strong. Now I remember just being too absorbed into the work of like, get the sponsor, Still to this day, I'm burdened by like just overthinking and comparison and intrusive thoughts about women and like expectation. And I need the program to address these continuing problems. Like I mean, just life problems. I still rely on the program. So I had so much work to do. It's that design for living within our text. I think it says a design for living that works. Yes, alcoholism is a problem. And coming to AA was really good for that for me. And then, oh, wait, living life is a problem. It wasn't just the alcohol. That was a solution for a little while. What I need is to learn how to live life. And this gave me a guidebook. Exactly. I had work to do there. I learned a lot about my alcoholism. And still to this day, I need to keep reminding myself of just yet. You know, I didn't get to that point yet. I never got busted for the DUI, but I would always drive home drunk. And then just going out, spending 50 to 100 bucks at the bar, waking up depressed for three days at a time. In college, I had gotten violent with people or resolved an argument with my fists, looking looking to create a fight and then did find a fight and realized how horrible that feels. But my drinking is like I could relate to people in the rooms. I, I just could, plain and simple. Did you have any trouble working the steps? Step one, I really struggled with. Like I read the big book and I compared myself to a lot of like those down and I didn't quite have a drink and then not know what happened and wake up on the other side of the road. And then I was like, well, I wasn't quite there. Let me get there. I want to get there. And then I just realized the insanity of that statement of like do going out and doing more research 
to like see that I really do belong. But step one is the one to this day that I still, you know, and I know I need a hammer. I need a hammer without a possible doubt, but I keep revisiting that step one based on other people's testimony. Which part? We admitted we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Powerless over alcohol. I was, my, my main drinking was in a place where there was a, a drunk shuttle bus designed for drunk people and, and the culture celebrated it. I was normal. You, you know, I took classes starting at 12 p.m. It was just totally fine. And then just my family was too supportive to let me struggle for too much longer without going to treatment. I mean, I really just had that summer of floundering. Yeah, that part of like, am I the same alcoholic as someone on the street shaking, like about to die from the withdrawal of alcoholism? I never got to that point. I hear you. My first sponsor, when I reset my sobriety date in 2012, pointed out to me that in our book, The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, that's where it talks about we had to raise the bottom so that Mm -hmm. people who could scarcely be considered an alcoholic would be able to relate to us. And that was huge because I felt like a little goody two shoes. I mean, I haven't experienced the consequences. I'm not bad enough. Well, you don't have to be bad enough. You don't have to match hitting bottom that other people have hit. You can stop anytime. You can get off that elevator at any floor. That's the expression I love. I really identified with that. I can get off on any floor. It's not necessary to ride the elevator all the way to the bottom. And Bill is definitely what we would call a low bottom story. And maybe the founder of AA needs to be a low bottom story. (laughs) I wasn't on the same level, but most people struggle with the idea, oh, I haven't done that. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. And when I do struggle with that step one is when I talk to people, there are a lot of people that have no doubt that they know for sure if they pick up one other drink, they are totally screwed. That, that's just my own thinking that's getting me back of like comparing, uh, overthinking it. Well, let's bring it back and just realize, okay, I'm in treatment. Who just shows up at treatment? You know, like, okay, <laughs> you can overthink the circumstances of what brought me into treatment, but I'm still in treatment relating to everything people are saying. A happy customer of the services provided by Fellowship Hall and AA. And then let's just make it more basic. Let's make step one really basic. Why do I drink from a place of discomfort and anxiety? It, it relieves that. How, how did I drink? It was always about the next drink. I was always excited. My favorite drink was that next one that I was not currently drinking. I mean, a lot of people, they drink <laughs> in the moment and they live in the moment. And I'm still learning about the whole spiritual journey we're on is learning how to live in the moment. That's why I love the continuing spiritual path we're on. The next drink is the one I was really, <laughs> I love that. Hey. I can never order one drink. I have to order a coffee and a fresh squeezed orange juice. Yes. (laughs) So it is definitely carried over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, My wife makes fun of me when I'll have a glass of club soda on ice and I'll have a Coca-Cola and I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll have them all lined up. And it's like, what are you doing? I don't know what I want to drink at any moment. You know, just because I quit drinking doesn't mean I'm not thirsty. (laughs) That makes perfect sense to me. I understand that completely. You need all three and you need all three now. Yeah. And we don't know which one's going to light up in the next moment. I like the way you think, Jake. Tell us about what else your life is like in AA after finishing working the steps. 
I worked through all 12 with a sponsor who I love. He was amazing. Then I moved to Wilmington and just did it all over again. That's so fun. Moving to a new place, sober, knowing exactly what you need to do. It was uncomfortable at first, but Wilmington AA is impeccable. I mean, it's just incredible. Now it's a little bit more meeting attendance. That is such an important solution for me. If I'm ever struggling and confused about working the steps in my daily life, you know, and doubting the whole, oh, it's just spiritual mumbo jumbo. It's all just, what did God, does God even really exist or is it just me? I'm not going to meetings during that time. But since I've been back in Madrid, going to my usual home groups, everything just falls into place. So it's still pretty AA centered. A lot of it is just pursuing new experiences and opportunities. I love to travel. And it's all based on the freedom I get from sobriety, family relationships, personal relationships. But a lot of my best friends and personal relationships are through the rooms. That's my experience too. How do you ask someone to sponsor you? Oh, my Wilmington sponsor gave me great advice on this because I was struggling with a year sober. Uh, I had a head full of steps. But I was in my head about expectations and fear of people. He said, I got to approach them. I got to pursue them. A few people in my sobriety have approached me. I'll need to share something good that resonates or that's just really real, just really where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And then a few people will ask me, maybe that's happened two times. But for the most part, it just has to be talking with the new guy after the meeting. If they open up and share, because I'm uncomfortable. So then what we learn to do is like, give it back. St. Francis prayer. If I'm uncomfortable, make someone else comfortable. The new guy is the most uncomfortable person. I'll talk to them. And what I'll do is I'll say, well, do you have a sponsor? And I really believe in sponsor. I benefited heavily from sponsorship. So I'll ask this guy, so do you have a sponsor? And a lot of times they'll say, yeah, but if they don't, it's just a no pressure. Hey man, while you're looking for one, I'll be your temporary sponsor. Let me give you my number. And I'll be like, dude, just call me tomorrow. And if they don't call, because that's the most basic thing to do. It's it's the best indicator of future success. If they call the next day, a lot of times they won't. And I don't like I was willing to call. That's the basic test of willingness. I like your point to pursue a sponsor. If you need a sponsor. I look for the guy that that big, bad, heavy hitter with 20 years that's doing service. The reason I thought of this is because I have as many sponsees as I can effectively work with and meet with once a week for an hour to read in the book together is the way we do it. At least I can have more who I'm not doing that with. But once a week, it's like four people. That's my limit. I got to go to meetings and other things too, you know, there were a bunch of guys who showed up who wanted sponsors said, I can't sponsor anybody else at this time, but here's my phone number. Well, one guy called me every single day. And by the seventh day I'm going, okay, we'll meet (laughs) Yeah, to see that willingness. It's like, okay, I've got to sponsor this guy. Oh, interesting. He pursued you. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess I did do that with this current sponsor too, because this guy was doing all the service work and he, and he sponsored a ton of guys and he's like, I, you know, I can't do a daily thing. And I'm like, but when, when I call, we're talking, you know, I'm yes. prepared to, to check in fully. A sponsor conversation goes different than most other conversations. Cause he already knows. I, I know that cut the bull, tell him where I'm at. So I just spill it all out. <laughs> Yeah. With my relationship, with my urge to drink, with my feelings about comparison, just dump it all out. Call myself out to him. Yeah. 
I have to be able to tell him anything and everything. Two weeks ago, I sat down with my sponsor. Listen, this is where I am. And Mm. I do not like where I am right now. Mm. Let's talk about this. You know, I love that we don't have to wrap it up with a pretty bow and paper and all that kind of stuff. We simply say, here's my mess. Help. Yeah. Start where you are. This is exactly what's going on with me. Being completely honest and open. The non-judgment is the single most essential quality for a sponsor. The acceptance upon however politically incorrect or like selfish or rude my opinion or feeling is in that moment, hearing where I'm at from a sponsor, because that's what my Wilmington sponsor showed me. So I try and emulate that myself. Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. This has just been a blast. Thanks, Jake. Been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Don, have we heard from any listeners? Why, yes, we have, Sam. It's time for listener feedback. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. We got an email from Wayne B. The Basics Group, Durham, North Carolina, Monday, 7 p.m., reads all of pages 561 through 562 at the start of their meeting. Hearing the introductory section of the traditions is unusual. The second paragraph says, Therefore, no society of men and women ever had a more urgent need for continuous effectiveness and permanent unity. We alcoholics see that we must work together and hang together, else most of us will finally die alone. Those two sentences have the same weight with me as does the responsibility statement. When I hear them, I feel activated. I know I need to pay attention. I know this is serious. I'm grateful for this meeting format, hearing these words and settling in for plenty of experience, strength, and hope well steeped in the traditions. Thanks for letting me share. Wayne B., Wow. I really like that, Wayne. I'd like to go to a meeting that does that too. I understand what you're saying. The the weight of those two statements, the responsibility statement and this, because it's saying that we need each other, but also I need to be here for whoever else is reaching out. It takes all of us to make sure Alcoholics Anonymous is here for us to take care of each other. We've got an email from Sam K. Hi, Don and Sam. I've been sober for one year, but I just started going to AA meetings in June of this year. Your podcast was an important component of my first year of sobriety before I was ready to go to a meeting. I don't know why I was so nervous about it, but that's how I was. I just wanted to express my gratitude for the two of you sharing yourselves so openly. I recently discovered the archive of The Boiled Owl, and I'm so happy to have those episodes to go through. I love the longer format and the deeper conversations you had there. Thank you so much, Sam in Minneapolis. Sam. Yes, Don? Not you, Sam. I'm talking to Sam in Minneapolis. (laughs) Sam, thanks so much. I'm glad you found The Boiled Owl. That was our call sign, I guess you could call it. (laughs) And I'm glad that we helped you finally get to an AA meeting. We've heard from a few people who found that listening to the podcast was a good way to kind of test out the waters. 
before actually committing to going to a face-to-face AA meeting. And I know that's terrifying. It was terrifying for me. But you know what I think what was so scary about it was I was making a commitment to getting sober. And I wasn't ready to make that commitment until I was. So I'm glad we could help. We got an email from Monica G. Good morning. I love the Grapevine podcast. I'm now almost a year sober by the grace of God. The podcast really helped, especially at the beginning of sobriety. Hearing everyone's laughter and shared experience, strength, and hope kept my alcoholic mind from wandering to another drink. I'm so grateful for this program and the fellowship that comes with it. Monica G. Oh, Monica, I hear you. You know, I I didn't have a podcast when I came into these rooms, but uh, one of the things that I did a lot of was go to speaker meetings because I was able to hear things like that. Yeah, it took me a minute, but I would stick around after meetings and all the laughter and the conversation that was going on. Friends, you know, hanging out with each other. That became such a huge draw to me. And I'm glad that you're finding that experience with the podcast. We've got an email here from Vivian M. Dear Don and Sam, just a note of gratitude for your positivity. You sure make sobriety seem worthwhile and interesting. I recently found your old podcast, The Boiled Owl, and I'm enjoying listening to the old shows. So glad they're still available. I've been sober since 2014. I listen to a lot of recovery slash 12-step recordings just to quiet my mind and keep me moving in the right direction. Also so helpful when working with others. I came into AA when I was 55 years old, so I had a lot of bad thinking habits to change. It took me five years to catch on to the concept of the daily reprieve. I kept waiting to feel like I was cured, but finally understood that I needed to give my disease a little attention every day. Thanks for being part of the healthy medicine I need. You're a breath of fresh air. Sincerely, Vivian M. (laughs) Thank you, Vivian. Oh, what a wonderful email. Really appreciate it. I'm glad that you found the boiled owl. And I like what you say about daily reprieve and having a lot of bad thinking habits to change. That's what, you know, one of the thinking habits I had to change was I need to do all the parts of AA. In the early days, I would say, well, man, I don't need to do this part. Maybe I don't need to do this more in prayer. That's a little much, but I'll go to meetings every day. And then when I finally started doing all the parts, and I guess getting a little bit of that medicine every day, that's when recovery really took off for me. I'm glad you've joined us, Vivian. We got an email from Wake Q. Hello, Don and Sam. I hope you're both doing extremely well today. How are you doing, Sam? You? I'm, I'm letting go just as hard as I can. <laughs> I just wanted to share some gratitude with you for the service in making the podcast happen. I'm truly grateful to you and everyone else who helps to make it possible for me to be able to listen while making my commute to work in the mornings. Many times I get to listen to more than one or four episodes before I get to the job site. (laughs) Four? (laughs) I'm also writing to share with you something that came to me when I woke in the middle of the night last night. And I was thinking about a friend of mine who'd been struggling in active addiction for a few years now since I met him in a meeting. 
The good thing is he keeps calling me and hopefully one day he will come all the way in and sit all the way down. I like that. I like that too. He goes on to say in a lot more words that he wrote this note. The minority is always allowed to speak in AA. My friend who is trapped in the grip of addiction was telling me about all of the voices in his head and how the one that is talking about sobriety is the minority and always loses. It made me think about how when we vote on something in AA, the minority always has a chance to speak. Then when I was meditating on how when I first came into the rooms, the voice in my head that was talking about sobriety was the minority also, and my new friends in AA would always give the voice a chance to speak until it became the majority, but I had to keep coming back long enough for that to happen. Now I have to keep coming back in order to keep the voice of sobriety the majority. He goes on to say, again, I really love what you're doing with the show, and I hope you make it a great day and know that you are loved. In love and service, Wake Q, Johnston County Group, Smithfield, NC. Wow, Wake. What a fantastic observation. I mean, I love those middle of the night awarenesses that come to mind. But yeah, the voice of sobriety was definitely a little voice in the back of my head in those early days. And before I even got going, over time, it is the voice of the majority of that uh, itty bitty bleepity bleep committee in my (laughs) itty bitty crappy committee. No, it's the itty bitty bleepity bleep committee. (laughs) That minority, I'm glad that minority opinion kept raising its little voice for so long, but it sure went on for a long time with me. That little minority's voice was back there for a long time going, you know, I think you've got a problem. Shut up. I don't have a problem. And as we have seen in some events within AA General Service, sometimes the minority opinion changes the opinion of the conference, the group conscience. Yes. It certainly changed my mind. Eventually, Wake, great observation. Thanks so much for writing. Hi, folks. We need your stories on the individual traditions. Pick one and write about your or your group's experience with it. How has a tradition played a part in your life? How has your understanding of a tradition changed? What is a personal experience where a tradition played a part? Visit aagrapevine.org for guidelines and to submit. I'm at the very wit's end. Cuckoo. An historic short snort from February 1959. Bill, you look beat up from that bender you were on last weekend. Yeah, Joe, I know. And the worst part is that tomorrow's Friday and it's payday. Well, that's a good thing. Why the long face? Well, now I gotta do the same thing all over again. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. 
We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.